A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook. And we've also got FA Cup finalist Dean Ashton with us throughout the course of the show. Coming up, hmm, it's a Manchester derby in the FA Cup final for the first time. Later in June, as Manchester City see off Sheffield United and Manchester United win a penalty shootout in dramatic circumstances against Brighton. Things go from bad to absolutely unbelievably terrible for Tottenham Hotspur as they get thrashed by Newcastle United and we'll preview a pivotal week in the Premier League. We've got 10 games live on TalkSport over the course of the next few days. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Yeah, and one of those uh, huge, massive matches is Leeds against Leicester. It looks absolutely crucial now. I think there's Arsenal against Manchester City as well, but Leeds-Leicester is absolutely massive. Uh, Dino, you right? I'm all good, thanks. Good. I've just about recovered from a weekend where I did Arsenal-Southampton on Friday night, which was mind-blowing. Manchester City against Sheffield United on Saturday, which was mind-numbing. And then on going out with Crook on Saturday night, which was uh, (laughs) headache-inducing. So it's been quite a... uh, it's been quite a weekend. Uh, Crook, did you enjoy um, Manchester United's dominant performance uh, over plucky Brighton? <laughs> it was tense, wasn't it? I've just about recovered. But uh, yeah, great weekend at Wembley and a great FA Cup final to look forward to. But obviously, having spent most of the build-up pretty much in the Brighton dressing room, I did feel sorry for uh, for Roberto De Zerbi and his players the way it ended. Oh, in- interesting you say that because you did say that um, if... And you're a, you're a loyal Manchester United, born and bred fan, aren't you? I mean, you're season ticket holder, uh, Salford Lads Club, all that kind of stuff. Um, you uh, you would be a little bit uh, pleased for Brighton had they had beaten Manchester United in the aftermath. In the aftermath of the whole thing, um, have you shed a tear for them? Have you rung Dunkey, your mate, and uh, said you know commiserations, fella? No, I spoke to him in the tunnel after the game. He was he was devastated. To be fair, as they all were, but. Um, I did allow myself a little fist pump as Lindelof put his penalty in the top corner before <laughs> heading for the tunnel. So, yeah, professional, professional. weren't you on duty in front of the supporters doing that <laughs> reporting? You've been making sure that everything was okay at that end of the field. Okay, don't worry about it. Um, right, okay. So it's going to be a big uh, FA Cup final, massive event, really. You know, the idea of a Manchester derby at Wembley for uh, the FA Cup. That's great. I mean, it's going to be absolutely superb. We did have a couple of semi-finals like that, but we've never had a full Manchester derby in the FA Cup final. So we look forward to that on June the 3rd. Uh, let's uh, kick off with the review of the weekend before we get into what is going to be a pivotal week in the Premier League with Manchester City against Arsenal, the fulcrum of what is a gem of 10 commentaries coming your way on the Talk Sport Network. Here we go. Manchester City have lost in the semi-finals in each of the last three seasons. Manchester United want to stop them doing the treble, while Brighton are desperate to lift the first major trophy in their history. Who wants him more? And it's fired in left-footed from the edge of the penalty area for a Riyad Mahrez hat-trick, the moment he will never forget. The treble gets ever closer. Thanks to a Mahrez After three years coming here, semi-final and lose, lose and lose, finally, four years in a row, come here, win, that's fantastic. Brighton and Hove Albion haven't been to a final since 1983. The last time they were there, Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister. TVAM had just started, and Manchester United fancied a cup double that year. We've never had a Manchester derby final before in the FA Cup. I want penalties. I've sat through this. 
<laughs> give us penalties. Well, we're going to get them. Now Lindelof to win it for Manchester United, smashes it into the top corner and wins the penalty shootout for Manchester United. To win uh, the final, it's all about that. We already showed in this season we can beat them. But Manchester United are coming back to Wembley for an FA Cup final in the first weekend of June to take on Manchester City and they are still on course for a cup double. Well, first of all, Dean, I want to say I feel so bad for Solly March because if there's one player that you didn't want in a Brighton shirt to fire that over the top of the crossbar, it was him. That Someone's got to miss. It's a penalty shootout. It is no longer a lottery. It was precise, precision, accurate, wonderful technique penalties for 12 kicks before that one went over the top. How will he be feeling, bearing in mind that he's had such a terrific second half of the season? He'll be devastated. I mean, it'll be something that he'll have to deal with for the rest of his life. That's how big these moments are, you know, for especially a club like Brighton, for a player like himself. You know, it's the biggest moment in his career and um, he's not been able to deliver under those sort of conditions, which he's not the first player. You know, some of the greatest players ever have not been able to handle those penalty pressurised situations. So he's he's not alone, but he'll feel like he's alone. And I think, to be honest, when he reflects, he'll probably be more disappointed at his all-round performance. And I think there will be a few Brighton players that look back and think, we didn't quite hit the levels that we've achieved this season in that game. Now, whether that was, you know, tactics and defensive um, nows from Manchester United, I think I'd have to watch the game again. But I just felt those real key players for Brighton weren't as good as they've been all season. Uh, Crick, I, I thought that's true. And I think that Manchester United wanted it that way. I thought Manchester United gave up playing football in that game to, to stop Brighton being able to play football. It was almost like they tried to kill the rhythm and the tempo of the match to ensure that Brighton couldn't get their, their passing going, couldn't play through them. Yeah, I thought you two called it spot on in, in commentary, actually, when you were talking about Webster and Dunk rolling their foot over the ball, almost inviting Manchester United to press. And it was a really disciplined performance from United. And Ten Hag clearly had told them, don't do that because that's what Brighton want you to do. Don't fall into the trap. And they didn't. I thought Aaron Wambasaka was absolutely terrific against Matoma. As much as Matoma probably wasn't at his best, I think Wambasaka takes a lot of credit for that. I thought the two central defenders, I, I, I asked Ten Hag about it afterwards, Lindelof obviously scores the winning penalty, was solid in the game. Luke Shaw, I think, is becoming a very good um, left-sided centre-back. And actually, I think to recover as they did from Thursday night and produce that kind of performance, yes, it wasn't sparkling football, but it was disciplined, it was game management. I think Ten Hag and Manchester United deserve an awful lot of credit for that. Just on Solly March, you're right, it was cruel it was him because he's had such a good season, particularly since the Zerbi came in. Nice moment in the tunnel afterwards as he returned to the dressing room. He was being consoled by Valt Veghorst, which I thought was a nice touch. Can I say, Valt Veghorst is going to become a Manchester United cult hero. <laughs> there is going to be T-shirts of that guy that do the rounds for years to come. He will only play until the end of this season for Manchester United. It will be a very short six-month spell. But that geezer is going to go down in history. Why? Because he just loves it. He absolutely he, he's, he's sucking up every possible moment, right, of his Manchester United experience. He's not letting anything, he's not leaving anything out there. Even when it comes to being on the bench for about 70 minutes, he's like, no, I'm just going to play the game on the side of the pitch here. <laughs> just warm up for the entire 70 minutes until you put me on because I'm ready. I'm going on. I'm going to, I'm going to make the most of it. And he didn't. He came on and he actually did a good job. And he, his penalty was terrific because I think... In the back of a lot of people's minds, they were thinking, oh, he's going to be the one to miss yeah. it. It's going to be him. It's going to be the story. But no chance that geezer was giving that up. And he was the first person to go over to Solly March as well when the uh, penalty was, um, when the shootout was over. And he played a crucial role. And Adrian picked this up yesterday. He was the second to last Manchester United player to take a penalty. And when he scored his penalty, he went and picked up his own ball. Whereas everybody else had left the ball in the goal and then the goalkeeper of your team would give the next penalty taker the ball, right? Okay, so Sanchez was going to give the ball to Solly Marsh. He didn't allow that to happen. Veghorst disrupted that process. He'd seen mm. that process, disrupted it. Went and picked the ball up himself, kissed the ball and then gave it to Solly Marsh. 
And it just, I, I don't know if that disrupted anything, but I think it may well have played a part. And I think that you know, it's just little things like that. I, I, I just like him. And he was so happy about it as well. He's a big cuddly <laughs> teddy bear. He's just so, <laughs> he's from one big cuddly teddy bear to another. That's quite a compliment. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's just such a likable character, Dean, I think. Oh, he is, yeah. And and because I think where we were and the view we had, we were a bit more left-sided. We could see him all of that second half just constantly warming up, going and collecting the ball, getting the game going again. And then, yeah, he looked like he wanted to be part of it and did play his, his part, like you said, maybe with that little bit of disruption. And it was interesting when that penalty went in from uh, from Lindelof, all the United players either gathered just together with a big hug or a couple ran over to Lindelof and De Gea and uh, Veghorst turned and sprinted towards the United fans on his own, a big <laughs> knee slide all the way through to Crookie, then then just got straight back up, big fist pump and sprinted all the way back to Solly March. He was just, <laughs> he was just taking it all in. Guy, and, the guy's a what? hero. I love him. I absolutely yeah. love him. I think he's fantastic. Um, uh, let's talk about Roberto De Zerbi. Um, he's been given quite a lot of credit, got a, a lot of uh, uh, plus marks in his his checkbook over the course of the last six months from the way he's operated. But why couldn't he find a solution to get past that Manchester United defence yesterday? Was it just rank bad luck in the end, Chris? Um I don't know about that. I don't think we saw Brighton at their best. Maybe the occasion did get to them a little bit, which I didn't think De Zerbi would allow to happen. I think once they lost Danny Welbeck, that was a big problem because Undav at the moment looks to me like a player who's still struggling to get to grips with English football. They didn't have the option of Evan Ferguson due to injury. Could have been different had he have played. So, yeah, I, I, don't think, I wouldn't pin too much on De Zerbi. I think Eric Ten Hag did a very good job of stifling Brighton's tactics. Yep. Okay. Uh, it sets up a Manchester Derby final. We're looking forward to that. It, that's because Manchester City breezed past Sheffield United 3-0. Um, I was at this game as well, and I've got to be honest with you, it was it was tepid, wasn't it? I mean, lots of changes for Manchester City. And if uh, Iliman Injai scores in the first 90 seconds, then all of a sudden we have a very different game. But he didn't, and we got the game we were expecting to get, Dean. Yeah, we did. Felt a bit like a training exercise in the end, which is unfair on Sheffield United because they're a decent side. But I thought they were pretty hamstrung. I mean, they're they're going for a promotion in the Championship, which has to take their focus. Two of their best players couldn't play in the game because they're ineligible as Manchester City players, and they really have made a difference this season for Sheffield United. And it just all felt like it was too much, and and. I said before the Brighton game, what you don't want it to become is just a, a great day out where we enjoy ourselves and it's nice to be there. And, and they gave it a go, but they, it just never felt like it was a real a real contest and, and it was pretty simple in the end. I was surprised, however, at Pep's team to start with. I thought there wouldn't be as many of the big names in there as, as, as I thought. We were like, oh my word, what is he doing? Why is he, why is he, why is he putting all these in? <laughs> Uh, bearing yeah. in mind we've got this huge game on Wednesday night, but he decided to go for it and it seemed to work. Um, hopefully no one's picked up any sort of knocks or niggles. Uh, but with Sheffield United, I actually thought they really defended brilliantly for about 40 minutes. But once the penalty decision goes against them, it's almost like, well, we tried to do it this way. We've lost the goal. It's done now. We can't really do anything about it. That's what it sort of felt like. I actually think they did quite well up until that point. Yeah, it was a mismatch. And and I don't think 3-0 is any kind of disgrace. Paul Heckingbottom afterwards said they learnt lessons. Hopefully now it will give them the drive and determination to go on and win promotions to the Premier League. I'm sure that will happen. It could happen uh, as early as Monday evening, potentially, if that Middlesbrough result goes their way. Um, Pep, afterwards, I asked about his team selection and said, was it respect for Sheffield United? Was it respect for the competition? And he basically said that he was so grumpy, having lost three successive semi-finals that he was leaving nothing to chance. And I, I thought that was quite refreshing. And also, I think the owner was there celebrating in the talent as well. So the FA Cup clearly means a lot to Guardiola. And he's disappointed by that run of semi-defeats. Yeah, uh, no one's ever lost four semi-final defeats in a row. And he was determined not to be the first. Um, the, the crowd was only 69,000 on Saturday. It was, it was 79, no, 80, 79, 81, 81 on Sunday. Um, you think it was flat on Saturday. Mm. I thought the Sheffield United fans did quite well in making a bit of noise once uh, the game had got underway. 
but I was uh, surprised by the the, the the swathes of empty seats above my head where I was sitting. And I just want to make a point. That game kicked off at 4.45 on a Saturday afternoon, right? The last train to Manchester, I don't know what last train to um, uh, Sheffield was, is at 9.25, right? I got that train yesterday after the Manchester United game, which kicked off 15 minutes earlier. And I made it by about 12 seconds. And I was running on a big bag and like, you know, it was crammed and it was not a comfortable experience. The whole experience of getting out of Wembley straight after the game and trying to get to the station was a nightmare. Now, if I'm a Manchester City fan or I'm a Sheffield United fan and my game's kicking off nearly five o'clock, I know I can't get back. It ain't easy. That, that ain't easy. And I think that maybe played a part on Saturday. That little 15 minutes maybe played a part. Because when it comes to the cup final, the cup final is going to kick off at 4.45. And then you've got loads of people trying to get back to Manchester. It's going to be nigh on impossible, I think. I, I, the FA have got to be very careful. Also, the management of getting out. It took two hours to get from Wembley to Euston. I mean, it's just crazy, crazy experience. I mean, it was uncomfortable. I take it your hotel room's booked for the final. You won't be trying that again. I won't be trying that again. There's absolutely <laughs> zero chance. I sent my missus a message when I was sitting in the uh, uh, the crowd at one Wembley Way. I just went, don't ever let me do this again. This was the stupidest idea I have ever had. Uh, but anyway. Make sure it's the twin room, please. We live and we Just learn. in case you pick up any yeah. bystanders. Okay. So look, okay, we better tell this story, right? Because uh, <laughs> Saturday night, there is a, uh, there's a semi-final. I'm doing Manchester City versus Sheffield United. Me, Crook. Jeremy, the producer of this podcast, Adrian Durham, Stuart Pierce, Scott Minto, half the Brighton uh, media team. We all go out and we have a curry, Dino, right? It's really nice, Lovely. beautiful uh, event. It's absolutely gorgeous. We have a few little sherbets. Uh, and then we go upstairs to the Hilton Hotel, onto the roof terrace. I say, come on, everyone, come to this bar. I've got a great idea. Let's have a few drinks. We do that. Uh, we sit down. We have a chat. Crookie says, uh, yeah, uh, I've got a room around the corner, but... Uh, oh, I don't really fancy walking to it. Can I stay with you? I was like, why? <laughs> and he, well, I just can't be bothered to walk to my room. Didn't think anything of it. I went to bed. He phoned me as I got out of the lift and went, can you come upstairs and get me? I can't get to our room. <laughs> I was like, How is it our room? <laughs> next thing I know, he's in, the, he's, in the, he's in the twin bed next to me, snoring away, keeping everybody out uh, awake. Sounding like Alf. You remember that little terrestrial alien uh, character that used to be uh, on telly in the 80s? Yeah, that's what he sounded like. Uh, anyway, let's move on from there and get stuck into uh, <laughs> stuck into some games that certainly aren't going to make you snore. Let's start with a huge, huge, huge match over the weekend at St. James's Park where Spurs were absolutely battered. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. to the bottom of the table club. This will have a seismic impact on the title race. Kyo Saka scores an equaliser in the 90th minute of the game. When they go to Manchester City on Wednesday, they will quite simply have 
to win. Oh, it's been dropped by Melier and it's guided in by Pereira and the Leeds goalkeeper at fault once again. Those are the sort of details which can cost you relegation. Well, Leicester have beaten Wolves 2-1. They move out of the relegation zone on goal difference. Everton drop into the bottom three. Palace's three-game winning run comes to an end. Palace nil, Everton nil. Alexander-Ronald swings in the free kick and it's in from Salah off the post. You have to go back to early February for the last time. Nottingham Forest won a game. Their relegation worries continue, but Liverpool are surely back in the European reckoning. And Douglas Louise was there to slam it home and maybe rescue a point for Villa. Brentford won, Aston Villa won. And it's five! Alexander Zak with another one! Newcastle five, Tottenham nil, it's madness! Big week in store for Bournemouth who take on two fellow relegation rivals. They need to bounce back. Bournemouth nil, West Ham four. Six points clear now of Tottenham. And the race for top four, Newcastle six, Tottenham one. Never ever predict what happens in the Premier League. Well, I'm sorry, but uh, Daniel Levy has only got himself to blame. We had a little bit of a laugh and a joke on the podcast last week, in which we said, how did Christian Stellini conduct his interview to take over from Antonio Conte? And we, we made a bit of a laugh and a joke about the approach and how he was going to do the same as the previous fella, and it was all going to end in tears. We had a go at Daniel Levy the day that he appointed uh, Christian Stellini to the end of the season, suggesting that it was negligent for a football club of that size with so much to play for to put someone in charge who had only ever managed a handful of games in the third tier of Italian football and got fired. Now, no disrespect to Christian Stellini, who may well end up being a good manager and he's probably a really good man, but he doesn't inspire much confidence and he certainly didn't inspire his football team yesterday. They were absolutely torn apart. They did not turn up in that first 45 minutes. It was a disgraceful performance. And unfortunately, I think you're going to get more of that between now and the end of the season. The worst thing about this, Crook, is that we could see this coming. Yeah, we could, uh, for the reasons that you've underlined. If you basically replace Antonio Conte with a clone of himself, not much is going to change. And it looks to me like the players have totally given up hope now. You know, that was, as you say, it was a disgraceful performance. The goals they conceded. You know, what was it, 5-0 down inside 25 minutes? I mean, that just can't be allowed to happen, 20, can it? 21 minutes, yeah. And you, and you wonder, you wonder what Daniel Levy does now because there is enough of the season left. They are, by some miracle, because they've been such a shambles for much of the campaign, they are still part of the conversation for the top four. They've got a huge game at home to Manchester United live on TalkSport on Thursday. If they were to win that game, suddenly the Champions League would be on again. But you can't make a case for Tottenham doing that with Stellini in charge. So I think he needs to make a big decision. That big decision probably is to replace Stellini and stick in Ryan Mason because I can't see anybody else taking it on an interim basis until the end of the season. I'll tell you, you might actually and laugh at me if you want. Harry Redknapp, one of only two good managers that Levy's ever appointed. Get him in for seven games. <laughs> I think you're right. You know, you can't continue like this. I mean, Ryan Mason's done it before and I'm sure he'd get... Well, he couldn't get any worse results than what uh, Stellini is getting. Um, it is absolutely unbelievable, Dean, isn't it? I mean, can you? I mean, we watched it. We were pulling our hair out. Well, we were laughing. We let's be honest. We were pulling we, our hair out. We were chuckling. We were. I think there was a couple of there was a couple of chuckles. Yeah, and only because it was just so embarrassing, Dean. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Did you say Lampard? <laughs> <laughs> we were joking. We were joking. We were joking. <laughs> um, I mean, look. Yeah. It, you know, if, if you're not a Tottenham fan, then you're going to have a laugh about it because it was so ridiculous that that first half and the performance and the defending for the goals was just so amateurish. It was it was just unbelievable. Now, I think, you know, it's it is easy to blame the players and you have to because they're out there. But the thing with footballers is footballers have this herd mentality anyway when you're at a football club. And once it goes really bad and people say, well, you've just got to go out there. Where's the pride? You've got to... But players, are, are they've got this herd mentality. So when it goes bad for most of them, it goes bad for all of them. And you, you sort of think, well, they can't be that bad and they're not that bad as individual players. But collectively, it was an absolute shower. And there's no... You can't say, oh, well, it's, it's, they're just not good enough. It, some of these players got Tottenham to a Champions League final not that long ago. So they, they, there is good players in there, but Stellini's thrown them in with a back four and a, and a brand new 
midfield three against Newcastle. I just thought that there was a, to me that was a bit of arrogance to think that we can just change the system and expect to to compete with with Newcastle. And it was and... tactically naive, wasn't it? Because they played oh. Perisic at left back, Poro at right back, two forward thinking uh, full backs. Eric Dyer and Christian Romero as the two centre halves. Pap Saar and uh, Oliver Skip in midfield with Hoybier. I mean, it was it was just really strange. And then when it's really, really, really bad, they decided we'll bring on Davinson Sanchez, <laughs> and and then the Tottenham fans just walked out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, after last week or the week before, it was that was always going to be a a bad decision. It was interesting. I know. Stats don't play a huge part, but Newcastle had an XG of 2.3 in that first half, and they scored five goals. Every <laughs> shot looked like it was going past Lloris, yeah, hence yeah. why we didn't see him in the second half. It was, yeah, a, he, he was, he was uh, injured, apparently. Of course he was. Yeah, it was a very, very, very strange performance from him as well. I think he had a, had a bruised ego at halftime. Um, by the way, can we say, though, right, because Newcastle United probably don't get now enough credit for this performance. Yeah, because everyone's just talking about the Tottenham meltdown. The truth is that Joe Willock played one of the balls of the century uh, for the uh, Isaac goal. It was absolutely terrific. Inside his own half, bending it with the outside of his foot all the way through to Isaac. And it was a delicious, delicious goal. Although when uh, Isaac celebrated and Willock had run away to take all the glory, Dean Ashton, goal scorer extraordinaire, when uh, the hardest thing to do is put the ball in net, you know. <laughs> Strikers Union out in fourth. <laughs> to be fair, it was a good ball. <laughs> um, what else? Talk to me about uh, Newcastle Crook because uh, for all their shiny new signings, it was Willock, it was Joel Linton, it was Murphy who shone really brightly in that game. Uh, they're going to still top four, aren't they? Yeah, I'd have thought so. Um, and, and I said it before, credit to Eddie Howe for the way that they've recovered since losing the cup final the season. Could have fallen away. He's not allowed that to happen. Actually, that group of players that you've mentioned is really emblematic of what Eddie Howe has done this season. People will say, yeah, they've got loads of money, but they haven't spent their way to success. Yes, they've made some very shrewd additions, not least Isak, who looks a real talent, but he's improved the players that were already there. And I think he deserves a lot of credit. They're start, starting to bang in goals for fun now and starting to starting to go back to the days when they were the entertainers. So, yeah, listen, they're, they're six points clear of, of Tottenham. They've got a game in hand as well. I think they can start to dream of the Champions League. Uh, Bournemouth against uh, West Ham. Uh, the uh, Bournemouth defence had a few lapses as well, especially from set pieces during this game. Mm. Uh, we also had an eye on this game during the uh, build-up to the semi-final, didn't we? And we were watching. I said to you beforehand, this has got draw written all over it, Dean, because you know the, both these two teams, with a point, they'll be relatively safe and they'll be happy with that. Well, West Ham weren't happy with that. They took their frustrations of recent weeks out on Bournemouth, didn't they? Yeah, incredible what the uh, the second half against Arsenal has, has done for them in terms of confidence and maybe just rediscovering the levels, the intensity that West Ham need to play at in every game to be where they were last season uh, and the season before that. And it was, you know, right back to the sort of West Ham performances that have that have made them such a, a decent side. And and Bournemouth in the end couldn't cope. It was interesting though, obviously sitting alongside. The both of you really picking out what seems like a trend with some of the goals that Bournemouth seem to concede, Crook. Yeah, set pieces, but been a problem. It's a problem last season, actually. It's been a real problem since they came into the Premier League, and it's one they're going to have to address because they just gave away too many cheap goals. I think they'll still be fine. They're five points clear at the moment at the bottom three. Next two games, if they pick up one win, I think that'll just about secure it. They've got Southampton. I'll be there on. Thursday night and they take some satisfaction I think if they could help send Saints a step closer to the championship and they've got Leeds I think at the weekend so it's still in their hands but it was a disappointing reality check after a couple of really good away wins Yeah, set pieces and high balls into the box, elevated balls into the box just can't deal with them and it has been a problem all season, it's something that they were trying to address in the first half of the season but just it still keeps coming back, it's like a bad habit it keeps coming back um, let's get stuck into the midweek action then because it is a huge midweek as Crook has already mentioned uh, for a lot of teams at the top and the bottom of the Premier League there's only one place to start though the biggest game on the planet yeah. 
So what next for Manchester City? Oh yeah, a small matter of that game being billed as the title decider at home to Arsenal. Arsenal undone by a simple set piece and their title hopes are falling down around their ears. That is easy, I love my players. Kayo Saka scores an equaliser in the 90th minute of the game. Football, eh? Bloody hell. And when they go to Manchester City on Wednesday, they will quite simply have to win. And it's fired in left-footed from the edge of the penalty area for a Riyad Mahrez hat-trick. The moment he will never forget. The treble gets ever closer. We're going to push as much against the team like is five points ahead of us, like have been the best team in, in this Premier League so far. You've dropped points in the last three games. Do you still believe you can win this Premier League title? Yes. Oh, this is an absolute belter, isn't it? Arsenal wobbling, going to the Etihad Stadium with a lead, but needing to win against Manchester City, you feel, in order to keep their title hopes alive. Yes, they have a lead but it's going to be cuttable should Manchester City draw or beat them on Wednesday night. It's all to play for, Dean. It doesn't get better than this, does it, when you get to the end of April in a title race and the two teams meet at this stage with it being such a pivotal fixture? Oh, I know. And actually, I'm, I'm really pleased it's a midweek game. I'm really pleased it's like a night game with this on the line, with both teams you know, in the positions that they are. But I just can't get my head past seven goals conceded in their last three games for Arsenal when I know they hadn't kept loads of clean sheets, but it just seems like Saliba being out of that team is such a massive miss for the way that they like to play. And if you're an art, you'd have to be worried. You know, with City playing the way they are, how are you going to keep them out with that defence that you've got at the moment? Well, it's, they're playing silly football. They're playing silly football, making silly decisions, taking silly risks, and they're giving away stupid goals. I mean, if you look back at uh, the game on Friday night, all of those goals should have been pre prevented. You know, the first goal, obviously, is a mistake by Ramsdale. The second goal, allowing Theo Walcott to run in behind you, you, know, you just have to drop off a couple of yards. You know he's got pace. You, it's not... It's not that difficult. The ball was pretty readable. You knew where it was going. I could see where it was going. I was standing, in, you know, sitting in the stand, you know, and, and the last goal, I mean, from the set piece where there's a flick on at the near post and Charlotte Shah comes round the back. I mean, that that's just that's just poor marking. It's just terrible set piece organisation. So they need to get a grip of that. They need some lead out. I mean, maybe Mr. Granite Xhaka as well, in a way, on uh, uh, Friday night because... I know he gets a lot of stick for being a little bit aggressive or a fist pumper, but his personality, I think, was missed during that game because it did all sort of go to pot very early in that match. And they can't afford to get in that situation on Wednesday night because they ain't getting three goals back uh, against Manchester City if they go behind. No, and that's what worries you, really. I think they've got the firepower potentially to hurt Manchester City, but it is the number of goals they've started to concede. And actually, it's not... It's not a recent problem. Um, they conceded a couple at Aston Villa. You did that game, Sam, won it later on. They were 2-0 down Bournemouth. at home to Bournemouth. So I think slowly but surely, the pressure has started to crank up. I was speaking to an Arsenal fan in the office after the game, and he was saying, oh, we got complacent. I'm not sure about that. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's just the burden. It's complacency. It's nervousness, yeah. right? It's the burden of competing for a first title in, in two decades. And the fact you've got this juggernaut coming up on the rails behind you. So, unfortunately for Arsenal, because I think we all agree, if you're not a City fan, that for the good of the game, it would be great if Arsenal could do it. I think they'll I think they'll lose this game. I think City will win quite handsomely and that will pretty much be the title race over. Of course, there is a, the alternative narrative. If you, if, if, you, if you don't get Arsenal winning the title, you kind of want Manchester City to win the treble, don't you? Because no. you want one or the other. <laughs> you do, you want one or the other. You do, you really... You want one of the, You either want Arsenal winning the title because it's a great story and it's like a you know they're sort of plucky underdogs in a weird way, aren't they? Okay, they've spent a bit of money and they they've got a, a lovely shiny stadium. They are Arsenal, which is quite a big club. But in terms of recent successes, it's been few and far between. So you know, them winning, coming through the pack, it's quite a nice a nice story. Arsenal, if they can't get over the line, Dean, you kind of want Man City to win the whole lot, don't you? Because that again, it's just a great narrative. Well, yeah, I think um, for any English side to to dominate um, and, and win a treble, I think would be would be great for for English football. I know there'd be 
lots of people as Crook's face shows right now that wouldn't <laughs> would have want. It won't be as good as our treble. <laughs> Why? Because just look at the FA Why? in the FA Cup alone, United had to beat Liverpool, Chelsea, and Arsenal. In the Champions League, they knocked out Juventus, Inter Milan. They were in the same group as Barca and Bayern. Ours was much more difficult. It's 20, 20, 24 years ago. I mean, you can't even remember the quality of those teams. Barcelona hadn't even won more than one European Cup at that stage. No, they were a good side, Barcelona, full of goals. And Juventus oh, at the time were just about I was only a little top kid, of the tree. Remember. Little kid. You were 28. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, it, it, look, I, just, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a, a, a cracking event. The thing is, it's in Manchester United's hands now to stop it from happening right so <laughs> Manchester United know that they can go to Wembley and it's down to them so if they win the treble Manchester City uh, then it is it's your fault basically <laughs> no pressure listen it's going to be a tough game in that final because that they are they are such a, a well-oiled machine but I think we're are we jumping the gun with this Real Madrid tie we maybe not treating that with the respect that it deserves Real Madrid when it comes to the maybe. Champions League Maybe, 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 maybe. Um, I just think I just think they look brilliant, Manchester City, at this moment in time. I don't think they even got out of second gear on on Saturday. In fact, in the in the game in Munich that I was at last midweek, I thought that they they were a little bit rocked by the atmosphere and the the occasion. But I don't think they were ever really in any trouble in that match, which is quite some statement to make about an away game in Munich. So to go to Real Madrid, I think they'll have a little bit of revenge in their mind as well after what happened last year. Madrid playing moments, they'll always create something. But, you know, I, I think they're massive favourites, Manchester City. They can only beat themselves now in terms of at least two of the trophies. I think they, they'll get to the Champions League final, win that. And I think they'll probably come up on the rails in the Premier League if they get a positive result in this game. The only thing I'm li- slightly worried about for them, Dean, is that left-hand side. Because Bukayo Saka, uh, Bukayo Saka, make sure I get it right, um, has had a, a bit of a tough time against Nathan Ake, but Ake's not going to be available. Yeah, it could be crucial. It's going to be fascinating to see um, who Pep puts there on that side against against Saka. I thought after his um, his sort of recent couple of performances where he obviously hadn't got on the score sheet, I thought he was he was outstanding against Southampton, especially in that second half when they really needed players and the atmosphere was was clearly strange. Um, until they got back into it, I thought him and Odegaard again stepped stepped forwards, and I think I think that's the thing. I think we all probably agree that we think City will, will win this game, but we can't forget how good Arsenal. And we, you know, talked about their goals they conceded, but they score a hell of a lot of goals. They have got a real threat, and especially on the break with Martinelli's pace uh, and Saka as well down that side. That's where City do leave gaps for teams to exploit it's going to be difficult but you know you wouldn't put it past you know Arsenal to to score at least two goals in the game no it's whether or not they can keep out three at the other end which is the key question isn't it and certainly over the last few weeks that hasn't uh, looked uh, the same Thomas Partey hasn't been as effective either as he in the middle of the park as he has been over the course of the season where he's been particularly impressive Crook no, but maybe that was a, as a result of the fact that he didn't have Granit Xhaka alongside him. I think it is uh, all about partnerships, and we haven't even mentioned defensively as well. No, William Saliba, he's not going to be fit for this game, might not be fit for the rest of the season. Did start sort of like the whole uh, first section of the Arsenal bit talking about William Saliba. Did you switch off during that, or is that the hangover kicking in again? But, but the key to Arsenal's success has been the fact that, that understanding that they've developed, the fact they've managed to keep their best players fit for most of the season. Now, I think the squad depth is being exploited. Vieira, again, I'll make the same um, comment that I made earlier. Probably not yet up to the rigours of the Premier League. Emil Smith-Rowe's a strange one. Um, Mikel Arteta just seems to have lost any kind of faith in in him. I wonder if he might have been a better option to to come into the midfield against Southampton, bearing in mind that Arsenal were always going to dominate the ball. I felt a bit sorry for Fabio Vieira because he was a bit like a ghost. It just kept going through him, didn't it? He, he just wasn't there. He, he, he wasn't present in the game. It, it was quite a sad sight to see. And actually, if you spoke to Arsenal fans before the match, they were concerned. They were like, mm, "That's not. this is not great for us. Um, and they certainly exploited that Southampton, which is quite an amazing thing. You must ask the question, where has that Southampton performance been 
over the rest of the season. But anyway, that's probably for another day. Uh, Leeds against uh, Leicester is live on TalkSport on Tuesday. This is a match and a half, isn't it, Dean? Um, Leeds and Leicester, I mean, Leicester coming from behind to win on Saturday. This is terrific, the way this is set up at the bottom of the table as well. Leeds are having a real problem, aren't they? Just a bit. I mean, we talked about Arsenal conceding goals. I mean, five, six and two that Leeds have conceded. I mean, that is disgraceful in terms of when you're battling down there and you want to keep games tight. And I know Leeds have played a certain way for so long, but there's still got to be some structure defensively. And and in large parts of the game, they don't manage the game very well. They don't have periods where they maybe sit in and, and, and just make things a little bit difficult for a period of time. It is just all one way. Everything's put into it and whatever happens, happens. You know, it's it's still some really, really strange performances. And you just think with Leicester getting that turnaround win, what that might just do for their confidence, because they won't have had any at all. And I think in Ian Acho, they've got a player that just, he has to play. He has to play because... Okay, he might miss five or six sitters, but he is the most likely to get them a goal. Yeah, um, and without Barnes and Madison, which is a real possibility for Tuesday night, um, creativity might be an issue for them as well. Uh, Leeds were abysmal yet again against the Fulham side with absolutely nothing to play for. It was not a very good match on Saturday lunchtime at all. And Melier, who has come in for a bit of stick, Danny Murphy's given him a lot of stick on the, the Monday night show that we do, um, he, he made another mistake and Leeds fans probably now getting to the stage where they're asking for him to be switched out. I mean, is that the right thing to do at this stage of the season, Crook? No, I think that could just create more uncertainty, to be honest. And I feel a bit sorry for, for, for the young goalkeeper and he is still young because you look at the defence in front of him, you know, as any keeper will tell you, you are only as good as those who protect you. And I think part of the reason he's making mistakes is because he's lost faith in his back line. I just wonder, again, it highlights this this issue when it comes to interim managers. We saw it with Wreckett Ralph at United last season. I think we're seeing it to a certain extent with Frank Lampard at Chelsea. They just don't have that authority in the dressing room because these players know that Javi Grazia is unlikely to be there next season. I just don't think it's the right thing to do. I think you need to you need to send out a message that actually this is the guy that we've chosen. He's here for the long haul. We believe in him. I just think it creates so much uncertainty. Carl Robinson, uh, when we had him on White and Jordan last week, was really good on this cult of interim managers. He wasn't having it at all. Yeah, and it doesn't work for the reasons that you've outlined, but that makes it all the more negligent that, that football clubs make these decisions. And we look, this, is, this has been our theme for the last two months, three months. This has been our theme. And that is, is that if you spend all that money on developing footballers, training footballers, feeding footballers, getting footballers to sleep in a particular way, making sure they travel first class, why would you then just decide randomly to sack a manager, not have a plan to replace him, and put someone in charge who you clearly don't think is qualified to do the job Otherwise, you would give them a three-year contract to do that job, which you haven't done. So it is bordering on negligence, really. And I don't, I just do not understand why football clubs do it. And how you can sack a manager and not have a plan of what to do next is so baffling to me that it, it, it blows my mind. Every, every time we talk about it, I just, it sends me into a meltdown. Um, Spurs quite happy to have a few meltdowns Thursday night live on TalkSport they may well have another one the problem is with Spurs is you can't tell what's going to happen they'll dig in a, a, a fluky performance and win 1-0 against someone or they'll get six VAR decisions that go their way and they'll get over the line and they'll they'll not win the match but they'll get the points from the match uh, or they'll absolutely collapse what, what's going to happen on Thursday night Dean? Oh um, good question um I think even though Manchester United um, will have played those extra minutes, I think the confidence of them winning um, and the fact that Tottenham can't defend, um, I think uh, I can't see anything other than a, than a Manchester United win. Um, and what's going to happen between now and then? Is Stellini still going to be in charge? Is he going to try and play a back four with two um, attacking full-backs? It's just, I think that Daniel Levy needs to make a decision before Thursday. I, I really believe that has to happen for something to change 
and for them to have a chance um, against Manchester United. Are we being harsh or is this guy really not up to it? No, I think he's really not up to it. And again, it comes back to what I was saying about interim managers. Those players clearly aren't having him. They don't believe that he's there for the long haul, which he won't be because, as we alluded to on Thursday, as soon as Antonio Conte fixes himself up with another job, Stellini will go there and be his trusted right-hand man again. Um, I, I just think they're rudderless, Tottenham. Um, and it it is slightly amazing and probably highlights the underachievements of some of the other so-called big six clubs, the likes of Liverpool and certainly Chelsea, that we've got to this stage of the season, six games to go. And if they win the game, they're only three points off a Champions League place because they've been dreadful, Tottenham, more often than not. How is that? How, how is that? How is that possible? It just sort of it shows you just how bad the other teams have been. Chelsea and Liverpool and, you know, how on earth we got into a situation where Tottenham have been one of the most unattractive teams to watch. They've been so shambolic in terms of uh, throwing away matches and conceding goals and, you know, chucking in some terrible performances. Yet they could still get in the top four. It's ludicrous. <laughs> well, ludicrous. I mean, it, it, all, it, it won't happen, I don't think. No, but also, Teats... Other teams have improved in the Premier League. The Premier League has got more competitive. And if you're not quite there as a big club, you 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 won't find your way towards the top four because of because of the competition now that's that, that I think's in the Premier League. But Sam, you just you just pointed it out. You know, the way that Tottenham have played, if I was a player there, I would be as low as a snake's belly. Because that style of football is horrible to play in. Yeah, and that and that that saps morale, doesn't it? In and around yeah. the training ground, and in the dressing room, and that's part of the problem. Unless you get full buy, and it was interesting actually talking to a technical director of a football club over the weekend who said, you know, look at um, look at Brighton, right? Okay, they work so hard, and the way they play that you can you've got players that will give absolutely everything to do the jobs that they're asked to do, and then someone like Graham Potter who's getting a good tune out of them, goes to Chelsea and he's got slightly different profile player, slightly bigger egos to deal with, tries to get them to play in a similar way. They ain't doing it. They ain't going to do it. They're not going to commit themselves. They're not going to give everything for it because they're not going to go 100% down that, that, that blueprint. And unless you've got the whole buy-in, it isn't going to work. So in the same vein, if you're Antonio Conte or Christian Stellini and you're asking players to do something that they do not want to do, if there's any excuse for them not to do it, like you know, the manager's changed or the crowd have got against them or there's a big injury, then they won't do it anymore. And that's what's happening at Tottenham. They're just not doing what they're being asked to do and it certainly isn't working. Um, what's the best-looking Manchester United defence to stop Harry Kane from getting a goal this Thursday night, Crook? Probably the one that played on Sunday. Um, I was concerned about Dallow at times down that left-hand side. I think Dean's right when he said that maybe Solly March didn't exploit that enough uh, because he did have this habit, I was right behind the goals, you know, of keep coming across almost a tuck-in as an extra left-sided centre-back. Um, but certainly Wan-Bissaka will play up against Son on that left-hand side. And I think Luke Shaw is the best bet in terms of stopping Harry Kane. I think he might have found his best position, Luke Shaw, almost by accident as a centre-back. Oh, I think he's been... Really good playing there. I still think he's been very good playing at left-back this season for Manchester United as well. I think he's been probably one of the players of the year for Manchester mm. United. I think he's uh, he's done a very good job over the course of the season. Um, if they win here on Thursday night, they almost sort out top four, don't they? I mean, yeah. they push Spurs so far away from them. The game against Brighton the following week is probably the key one, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think we could be talking at the end of the week, we could be talking about the title race being done and dusted the top four being done and dusted. And it'll be interesting to see how the relegation picture looks after that Leeds against Leicester game as well. So, yeah, I think this is probably the most pivotal week of the season so far. And it just happens we've got all 10 games on TalkSport. All 10 games on TalkSport. We're looking forward to it. Dino Aston Villa against Fulham is live on Tuesday night. Leeds, Leicester, 8 o'clock TalkSport. The other games are on TalkSport too or on the app. Just download it. You can flick between all of them. Uh, 7.45 on Wednesday night. West Ham against Liverpool is on TalkSport too. Manchester City against Arsenal on TalkSport. Thursday, Everton, Newcastle is on TalkSport too. And uh, I'll be at Tottenham versus Manchester United 
at 8.15. So the great news there is, is that you can listen to half a game and then have another half of a game as well. You'll get almost all of it if you listen to talk sport. What time do you train to Manchester the, that night? Don't, um, <laughs> which one? For Tottenham, uh, Manchester United? <laughs> I've decided to drive there. I'm going to drive to Tottenham and drive home because it's my son's birthday the next morning. So even if I have to get back at three o'clock in the morning, I'm determined to be back at... Uh, oh, what a dad, uh, eh? Dad of the year. up in the morning. Not really. I'm never here. You know, he came down this morning. He was like, oh, you're here? You? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm still alive, mate. Um, <laughs> anyway, give him a program from the FA Cup semi-final. He was absolutely delighted. Um, right. I'll uh, see you guys over the course of the week. Enjoy it. Dean, what games are you going to? I'm at West Ham Liverpool. Looking forward to that. Oh, what a belter. Crookie, which ones are you going to? Southampton Bournemouth. The most Alex Crook game of the season, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Southampton, who are dead to the Premier League. Yep. Is that it? Is That'll that be it? confirmed, I'm sure. Yeah, are, they still, are they still dead to the Premier League? Yeah, pretty much. Maybe, oh, maybe, maybe you know, for an hour panic? they were alive at the weekend. We're 80 minutes. <laughs> at half time, furiously texting, going, oh my God, they're making me look so stupid. That's it. What did you say? You said, I'm starting to think I know nothing about football. <laughs> you, you lot worked that out a long time ago, in fairness. <laughs> right okay uh, we'll see you on uh, Friday morning when we review all the midweek action and look forward to another cracking weekend of Premier League uh, campaigning it's been an absolutely cracking week and it's going to be a seismic situation over the next three days All everything could be sorted out nothing could be sorted out it could be one of those weeks which keeps you on the edge of your seat make sure you join us on TalkSport for all the action The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.